Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I've been really excited reading through uh, First and Second Samuel together as our deeper projects. God has been really just nailing some things home in my life personally, and um, it's been kind of an exciting uh, time to study Scripture together. And uh, if you guys are not in a deeper project, we have three of them that meet um, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, different times. Uh, I heard that Tuesday night has the best food. <laughs> Just saying. We had ribs this last week. I smoked a bunch of ribs and some mac and cheese, and it's great. But if you come this week, you might be disappointed because we're going to do a cereal bar. So different, different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> but God's been moving, and it's been good. <coughs> and... Um, out of our study and our deeper projects, the Lord started directing my heart to really focus in on David. And I'm really excited to be doing this. Being doing, uh, We're going to continue in a study on King David, and uh, I'm excited to get there. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that it is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm asking this morning, Lord, that you would examine us, Lord, that you would use your word Lord, to show us truth in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to love you more than we do right now. So we just ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, David is a man uh, notably flawed. In fact, I love scripture because it doesn't kind of pull any, it doesn't pull punches when it comes to David's sin. David makes some big mistakes. He's a messy character, but I love the fact that he's always redeemed by the fact that he loves the Lord. And he's concerned about the Lord's heart towards him. And so he's always quick to embrace repentance, and I love that. But he's labeled in Scripture, and he's defined as one that is after the Lord's own heart. And friends, I can't, I can't think of any better accolade to receive than to be labeled as a man after God's own heart. And uh, for me, I, I started praying this way. God, I want a heart like David. Lord, I want it to be said of me when I'm done on this earth, at my funeral, on my gravestone, give me a eulogy. I want people to honestly be able to say that Nate Ward was a man after God's own heart. I want it to be true in all aspects of my life, from the way that I lead my family, to the way that I'm a husband, to the way that I, I, I work my, 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 into the place of uh, being a pastor. I want to be able to say in all of those arenas of life that I was after the Lord's heart. And you see, um, that's kind of what stirred on the study of David. That's why we're talking in depth about him, because I believe that there's nothing greater that we could achieve as the body of Christ. There's nothing that could be more grounding, more helpful to us than to have a heart that wants to please the Lord. I believe it's, I believe it's fundamental for us. You see, over the last 
few weeks, we highlighted King Saul. He was David's predecessor, right? He was the king right before King David. Um, and uh, we've compared and contrasted certain aspects of their character. Uh, notably, we established Saul's fundamental issues um, that kind of began with this root of insecurity, right? We looked at Saul. We looked at some of the decisions that he made. We looked at some of the characteristics of his life. And we found this glaring issue that was at the root of it all. And that it was really that he was insecure. And we, we looked at insecurity as living our lives in fear of what others would think of us. In fact, it drives him to the point of making some very foolish decisions in which the kingdom gets ripped and torn from King Saul and given to another, a man after God's own heart, i.e. King David. And it says that he made those decisions. He did what he did because he was afraid of what the people thought. We, look at, we looked at a bunch of different issues and we looked at these things and we defined the truth of the matter is, is that we will inevitably obey the one that we fear. And as long as we fear man's opinion of us, as long as we fear what, what people think of us over having a healthy fear of the Lord, we'll obey man rather than obey God. And we understand that man's plans for us never end in success. Right? We understand that even the best laid schemes, right, that we might have, <laughs> the best planning, the best agendas that we could come up with and we could conjure up, they're going to fall ultimately short in comparison to God's plans for your life. Amen? So this brings us probably, arguably, to one of the most well-known Bible stories that there is especially in the Old Testament, uh, whether, you're, whether you've been serving Jesus for a long time, maybe you're new to the church. In fact, I would reckon to say a lot of people outside of the church are at least somewhat familiar with the story of David and Goliath, right? We see it, I, I, I see it all the time, uh, especially in, in kind of a, like a comparison situation, right, just in popular culture, whether it be like a sporting event or something like that. We all love the underdog story. We see this comparison. It's a David and Goliath matchup, right, where the unlikely underdog overtakes the big giant, right, something that we're familiar with. Spoiler alert, uh, David wins, Goliath loses in this story. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry to ruin the ending for you, um, but that is how it happens. Um, but as we're, as we're, we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 17 here in just a moment. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. But I have some things that I really believe um, that the Holy Spirit highlighted to me um, explicitly for the church in this season. And I want to talk about them. And I, I'm excited to get into this. I, I look through my past messages and all of the notes that I have compiled in every sermon that I have preached over the last 10 years, and I have not found one where I preached explicitly on David and Goliath. So if you have heard me preach a message on David and Goliath, I would love for those notes, because I thought for sure in my tenure as a pastor or a youth pastor that I would have spoken on David and Goliath. But I cannot find it in any of my sermon archives. So um, if you remember a time of me preaching on David and Goliath, and you have notes or something, please let me know, because evidently I've never done it. 
So, does it? Has anybody ever here? No. Okay. Great. <laughs> I'm going to begin in verse one of chapter 17. We're going to read this um, as quickly as I can, but I do think it's important that we read uh, we read this here. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James. Now it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and they were gathered at uh, Socho, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between uh, So... Soko? That's different than the way I've read it before. Soko. Yeah, okay. Different spelling. <laughs> and uh, Azaka and Ephesdamim. <laughs> Is that right? You guys like my, my, my butchering there? That, that, that sounds right? <laughs> and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Allah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on one mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits, that's over nine feet tall, and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and he wore a coat that weighed five times, or five thousand shekels, of that, he, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. I.e., this is heavy. It's big. <laughs> and then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Before we go on, I want to talk here just a little bit before we get too in-depth here about the tactics of the Philistine army, especially the tactics of the enemy here uh, that we see in Goliath, right? They... You had both armies, they were dressed up for battle, right? They were getting ready to war, uh, they were getting ready to go, to go to battle and go to war, and the Philistines would send out their most intimidating man, right? This guy named Goliath, he's a huge giant, he's got heavy armor, uh, just like, it's just like, he's, you don't want to mess with him. Have you guys seen people like that? I don't know, I, I've been walking around, I'm like, sometimes in my mind, I play, I play a little mental games, like, yeah, I could take them. I could take. I couldn't take that guy. I'm not gonna. Not gonna mess with that guy. Realistically, it's me. Like I could take that five-year-old. Maybe, maybe one of Kelly's first graders. But no, nah, that middle school girl. She'll kick my butt. So uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But but realistically, right? They they send out this super intimidating guy, and I need you to understand because we're we're not talking uh, this morning about physical giants that we're called to, like, slay. I'm talking to you this morning about spiritual giants. I'm talking to you about a spiritual enemy that would want to, that would want to destroy you and ultimately wants you to serve them. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, 
we're going to get there, and that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, so I'm going to draw some comparisons between what we read in this story and the spiritual battles that we face today as Christians. And I'm excited to talk about one of these things. But the first thing that I noticed as I was reading this story was this tactic of intimidation that the enemy tried to use, right? We see that Saul and the men were greatly afraid, rightfully so, right? Because Saul was probably the likely choice to go out and fight against the Philistine, right? Because he was the head and shoulder taller than everybody else. He was the man experienced in war. He was the one with the impressive resume that should have been off fighting Goliath. But we see Saul here, it says that he trembles with fear along with the rest of the Israelite army at this kind of impressive display from this mighty warrior, um, this Goliath from Gath. And so I, I, I kind of talked about this in a way that uh, was relatable for me. I talked about it a little bit in our deeper project. But when we play Ultimate Frisbee on Sundays, sometimes I like to stir up a little bit of trash talk, right? <laughs> you guys ever, any, anybody in here ever play sports, right? Anything at all? Two people, right? There's something to be said about trash talk, right? You're getting your opponent's head. You're trying to be intimidated. Nobody's intimidated by me, just so you know. But for me, I'm pumping myself up. I'm like, I defy you today in the name of the living God. That's what I say to the other Frisbee team, right? <laughs> Tyler, Tyler's, Tyler's like, no. And can I tell you that it, it's useful. It really is. There's a key that you're trying to demoralize your opponent. You want to strike fear into them. And I believe that's one of the things that the enemy tries to do with us. I believe the enemy is an expert intimidator because he, he knows something that we don't know. He knows that we're fighting a fixed fight. And the only way that we lose the fight is if we don't get in the ring. And you need to know this, that what God has in store for you, the spiritual battles that you may encounter, life's kind of, what life throws at you even, the only way you fall to it is if you don't show up for the fight. Guys, we are fighting a fixed battle. (laughs) You need to know that. God is on your side. He's in your corner. (laughs) You're not facing anything alone. And the only way that you lose is if you don't show up. And I guarantee you that, I I guarantee you one of the tactics of the enemy is going to make the problem look bigger than it actually is. Because if he can get you to quit before there's ever actually a battle, he actually wins. And that's the only way he can do it. Does that make sense? Anyway, that was just a side note that I wanted to say. It's not actually in there, but it's there. My plan, just so you know, um, so you guys can get inside my head, was I actually wrote down, read all of chapter 17 before you go on a tangent. It's in my notes here. I didn't do that. (laughs) Verse 11. Verse 12. 
Now, David was the son of the Ephrod of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. This man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul, and the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul into battle. The names of his three sons who he sent into battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul. Remember, he was playing the lyre for him. He was kind of his like musician friend, boom, uh, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of, a, to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. It doesn't sound like they were actually fighting, right? <laughs> they, they were yelling back and forth at each other. Uh, anyway, so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to to them, <coughs> he spoke accordingly. The to, he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, "Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel." Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answer him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and did the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. I want to pause here for a moment, because some translations read uh, uh, an aspect of this a little bit differently. We see David, right, asking what shall be done for the man that kills the Philistine, right? Um, some, the New Living even says, uh, he asks about what the reward is for the man who kills the Philistine. Because we see that when it's introduced, we see the, the men of the army kind of saying that, hey, all this is going to be done, right? You're going to get a handsome sum of money. You're going to get a sweet gig being like the, the, the king's like son-in-law. And your father's not going to have to pay any taxes. It's like, it's like perfect trifecta. It's a good deal, right? Because uh, King Saul had to bribe somebody because he was unwilling to go out and fight his battles, right? <laughs> And so he's, he's looking here, uh, what is the reward? 
And for a long time, I struggled with this. But as I was seeking the Lord and asking, God, like, what is, like, is David's motivation in this, like, really money? Like, is his motivation in this, like, really what he can get out of it? And uh, as you read, he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And we see, we see the character of David really unfold throughout all the other things that he say. I think what was taking place in David's life, because he was a man after God's own heart, he keeps asking, what is going to happen when this Philistine dies? What's going to happen? Not necessarily, what am I going to get out of this? Because the, the translation reward is not a strong one here. He's asking, what is, the, what is going to be the repercussions of what takes place? And what we see in the heart of all of Israel here is this, well, you'll get money. You'll get rich. You'll get fame. You'll get, you'll get like a great position. And we understand when we look at David's life, that's not what he's after. Right? We, we look at these other things. And I think David is almost asking this question in a rhetorical sense. Now, hear me out. Don't take this too far. I can't, I can't prove this or back this up with Scripture. So this is Pastor Nate's interpretation of this. So I'm making that disclaimer. But I think he's asking this rhetorical question to the men that are lined up on the battlefield. What are you going to get out of this? Like, like seriously, what, what's, going to, like, what's it going to take? <laughs> Not so, I don't care about the king's riches. I don't care about like, the reward. Isn't there a cause worth fighting for? Isn't there something bigger at stake, right? The name of the Lord, the glory and the honor and the dignity of Israel. I sense that more so than anything else as I'm reading these words. Is there not a cause? I'm, I'm really, this is the first time I've been reading through the New Living Translation in the Old Testament. And I really like the New Living Translation. I preach out of it a lot. But this is the first time where I was like, Man, that's not good. Because <laughs> I was reading, I was like, I know David talks about there being a cause. Anyway, is there not a cause? That's my personal tangent. Okay, I'm going to stop getting off of my notes here. Is that okay? I said, I, this is a long portion of scripture to read for me without getting sidetracked by something. So thank you. So eventually, um, we, we have David here. Um, his words get reported to Saul. And so then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I just, I imagine Saul being like, God, I was asking for a warrior, a champion. I'm so happy that you sent somebody. But why did you send this little kid? It's like, right? You ever, you ever have that? Like you ask God for something? I don't think Saul was actually probably seeking the Lord at this point in time, but uh, you ever ask God for something and you'd be like, yes, God, would you do this? And then he provides an answer and just like the most unlikely solution. And you just immediately are like, no, God, that's not what I asked for. You ever, you ever have that? Anyway, that's what I picture kind of transpiring here. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go fight against this Philistine. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. He essentially, he's saying, you're too young, you're too small. <laughs> he's been fighting and killing people for longer than you've been alive, right? 
And David says to Saul, yo, listen up, let me give you my resume, right? He says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and I struck it, and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Man, Saul didn't... I, I, I could just be imagined here, because I, I picture David as a little fired up, like when he's... When he's, when he's saying, no, I'm going to do this. I think Saul immediately saw some sort of courage and tenacity inside of David where he, he recognized this is it. Because I don't know about you, from a logical perspective, if it's me and I'm entrusting like the future well-being of our entire country based on like one battle, there's no way I'm sending a little kid to fight the giant. But I think something... Something about that that was inside of David here had a convincing aspect about it, don't you think? So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling that was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. That's what I use on the Frisbee field. Say, come to me. I will give your flesh to Now I'm going to have to say that today, Tyler. I'm going to have to. If I don't, now I'm going to be a liar. So, anyway, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the minute, weren't they supposed to be slaves? Right, they all ran off. They were all supposed to be slaves. Know this, the enemy, 
the enemy, the devil, will never keep his end of the bargain. Just so you know. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road of Shurim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel turned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tits. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. Now Jerusalem didn't exist yet um, because David hadn't conquered it. So that's a little interesting tidbit. Um, kind of gives you some chronologically, uh, chrono, anyway. Uh, Rabbinic tradition actually holds to the fact that David actually took Goliath's head, had it pickled and put in a jar and hung above his banqueting table in the hall in Jerusalem. So if you're looking for interior decorating ideas, um, (laughs) awesome. Well, I made it through through most of it. So um, I have quick notes that I want to share. I wanted to really just start with the story. I know we're familiar with it, but there's some things that I really want to highlight from it. And moreover than anything else, I want to talk about the victory before the battle. You see, David's, David's battle and his preparation for facing Goliath in the public arena was first conquered by a series of battles in the private sector. And I need you to know this, guys. Your, your victory, and uh, not just your victory. Uh, guys, I believe this. There are spiritual giants in the land that need to fall. I believe that there are spiritual giants in the culture taunting the family of God. I believe that there's addiction and perversion and abuse. There's scandals on the media. There are things that are attacking the church and the message of the gospel that need to fall. And I believe it's because there's too many people within the church that just want to play dress up. I believe that they put on their, I believe that they get ready and they dress up and get ready to go out to the battle. They might even put on a sword and they put on their chain mail and they put on their armor and, and we do the Christian thing, right? We show up on Sunday morning, we put on our Sunday best, we might even put some money in the tithe and the offering envelopes and we come to a prayer meeting once a week, but we're comfortable and content with just playing dress up and never actually engaging in a battle, but there's spiritual giants that actually need to fall. And the Lord is looking for a company of people that are after his heart, that is willing to engage in a battle and with, oh, Jesus. And that's willing to trust him to see some giants fall. Hmm. You see, but... Mm. most of us have no intention of actually engaging the enemy because that's going to cost us something. But before we ever get to that place, before, we're, before God's ever going to use us to see giants fall in the land, I believe there's some battles that we have to win first. The first battle that I see that David won, the first victory that I would give him and credit him to was that he had victory over entitlement. And if you want to see giants fall in this land, 
you're going to have to get out of your sense that God owes you something and that people owe you something. You're not as important as you think you are. Sorry. It's not always fun to hear, but guess what? It's true. I love this about David because David, you remember uh, just, a, just a chapter over, right? Before all of his brothers, all of his brothers get brought in before the prophet Samuel. And God passes and rejects them all, right? Even though they look and play the part. They've got the appearance down. David is forgotten about, is he not? They bring him in finally. And all of his brothers, they're probably humiliated at this fact, right? Their little brother, no way. The prophet pours that oil over his head and he gets anointed king over Israel, right? Gets anointed as the next king. How do you go back to life as normal after that, right? It doesn't happen. He, he starts, he gets summoned into the king's service right after that. He's, he's back and forth between the palace. Like, David is an important dude. Somebody get the memo, right? He doesn't lord that over anybody. In fact, where we find him here at the beginning of the story, he's marked by obedience and service. Rather than saying, you know what? Hey, bros, you heard the man. I'm going to be king. Bow down, serve me. He's actually serving his brothers here. He's obedient to his father's voice. He's obedient to his father's instruction. Even, to, even an earthly father that has neglected him in the past and forgotten about him and considered him insignificant, he's still walking in humility by demonstrating obedience and service. And I believe this is a picture of Jesus, the servant of all, right? What entitled Jesus to be king was the fact that he came to serve. Jesus says that about himself. And the extent that you're qualified to lead people is measured by the extent you're willing to serve them. And so the first victory I believe that David had was in, uh, in the arena of entitlement. He had victory over the spirit of entitlement. The second place David had victory that we read about here was in the lion and the bear, right? This is probably where you thought I was going to talk about, right? He, that's just a cool story, right? You guys remember a few, few months back, there was the hiker in Fort Collins that got attacked by a mountain lion. And like, he beat it to death with his bare hands. And I thought, man, dude, that guy's bad. Like, I want to hang out with that guy. Like, dude, straight up got attacked. And then you find out it was a cub. And it's still, still a big deal, right? Like, I'm not trying to downplay it. But in my mind, I was picturing, like, this, like, fully grown mountain lion that was just like, dude, I don't want to mess with that guy. Gets downplayed a little bit. But not only does David fight off multiple lions and bears, he does it like very nonchalantly, all right? right? This is a place where most people would chalk it up. It's like, dude, they're sheep. Who cares? It's, a, it, it's like it's a hazard of the industry, is it not? You're going to lose a sheep here and there to like a lion or to a bear. Don't be crazy. It's not worth risking your life. But I love David's like no-nonsense attitude, right? Like he's like, dude, this is my dad's sheep. I'm going to war, right? <laughs> David, I wrote down this. This is 
you, you have to bear with me, my language. Uh, David was hardcore. <laughs> he didn't play games when it came to honor to honoring his father and his family by protecting what was his. When no one was watching, before there was an audience, David proved himself victorious in fighting battles most would never engage in. Most would say it's just part of life to lose a sheep here or there, but not David. I want you to think about the things that maybe seem insignificant in your life. You know, a lot of people would say, you know what, lying here or there, that's not a big thing. Right? It's just kind of normal. The big one that I'm hearing, it's, it's this day and age, and it makes me so mad, is that it's normal for young men and women to look at pornography. That it's normal. You can't go to a movie now. A Disney movie at that, where they make reference to young men looking at pornography as if it's normal. And the culture is saying it's not that big of a deal. Right? There's all kinds of examples of that, and I, I want to be conscious of time, but friends, if you're unwilling to engage in the private battles that people say are insignificant, you'll never be prepared to take down a giant. There are little things that the enemy would like to try to just write off. And culture would say, it's not worth wasting your energy or your time trying to deal with. There's more sheep, right? Just saying, got to grab those things by the beard, right? Got to beat them over the head with a stick and just take them to town, right? Just going to, got it. I love making eye contact with Tyler because he makes the weirdest facial expressions because he's like, I don't know if he wants me to say something, if I'm supposed to agree with him or what. It's great. Okay, so the first victory was the victory over the spirit of entitlement. And then the second victory was with the lion and the bear. And I said this, that his preparation in secret positioned him for victory in public. Are you willing to have victory over the seemingly insignificant things in your life? Number three, he had victory over the influence of family. I would say this, that it could be victory over the influence of family and friends. You see, he comes to the battlefield, right, to serve his brothers and sisters. Not his sisters, just his brothers. <laughs> that was a slight dig at Abinadab there. That was, anyway, it's just a joke. Um, there's something you need to understand. Eliab, the one that kind of makes this snarky comment back to David, he was the one that Samuel thought was going to be king. He was the oldest. He was kingly in appearance. He kind of had the stature about him. He was supposed to be the leader of the home. And so we kind of see this little bit of like, I think there's some jealousy here in Eliab and his response to David, don't you think? He says, I know, I, I know why you're here, David. He says, you're prideful, you're insolent. You just came down here because you want to see a fight. Go home, right? Just go home. This is where it reminds me of a guy that is insecure. And he just wants to play dress up, but he's not willing to get in the fight. Right? This is what we talked about. And I think it's 
I think the reason why we struggle with that and why I make mention of that is that when someone does come along who is willing to fight, we tell them to go home. We tell them that they're not qualified because I believe we're threatened that our facades might be exposed. I think that's what Eliab was thinking. He's like, go home, David. You're going to make us look bad if you actually do something. We're comfortable here. We've got the system figured out. You know what? We've got it made. We've got to get dressed every morning, and we get up, and we go put on a little show. We yell at each other for a little bit, and then we run away terrified, screaming. Um, and, but then, that, I mean, that's all over by lunchtime. And so we got the rest of the afternoon to do nothing. We got like a sweet, comfortable gig here where we don't actually have to fight. So go home. You're making us look bad. Right? That's kind of how I read this. If I'm wrong, tell me later. But that's, I think, I think, I think for a lot of people that have dressed up to fight for so long and they've got the perfect kind of Christian facade. When people start getting serious about the Lord and want to make some waves and start to make some change, they realize they're going to have to actually have to get their button gear. And so instead of actually doing something about it, they just tell them to go home because they're comfortable in the cycle that they're in. This had been taking place for 40 days. 40 days. They did the same thing again and again. I'm sure, I'm sure Goliath was running out of insults. You know, like... He's like, guys, hurry up. Somebody, let's do something because I, I don't, they didn't have like a book of jokes back then that they could pull from, right? Like this is getting old. <laughs> Told to go home. I wanted to make a slight note here because uh, in recent, uh, like recent news, there's been this thing that's been taking place uh, culturally. Um, there's a pastor by the name of John MacArthur. You may be familiar with him. That name may be nothing to you, but he's very influential. He's been very influential for a very long time. He has study Bibles and all this stuff. He thinks that uh, all Pentecostals are not part of the church. He's got some whacked out theology, but I still consider him a brother in Christ. But he made some very hurtful comments recently in which uh, it was in response to Beth Moore, who's a woman Bible teacher, um, and she's awesome. And I'm so thankful that she didn't go home. In fact, his words were actually told. He said, Beth Moore, essentially in responding to a question or this prompt about Beth Moore, said that she needed to go home, that she had no place or business in ministry. And I want you to know, because she was a woman, and uh, she's not entitled to teach or preach. And I, there's so much hurtful theology that exists and it, it, there's, so much, there's so much wrong with that. Now, guys, God made men and women differently. That we're, not, we're not the same. We're not equal in that sense. My wife can do things that I would never be able to do. I can do things that she would never be able to do. But that doesn't mean she doesn't have a place in ministry. That doesn't mean she doesn't have a place in leading people to Jesus. And I'm so thankful she's never gone home. And I want you to know, if you're a woman here today, we fully support your role in ministry and bringing people to Jesus. And if you're a guy in this place, you have a problem with that, we'll talk. Seriously, I'll get coffee with you. I, I would love to, I'd love to set things right. Because there, there is no room 
There is no room in the family of God to, for comments like that and for hurtful, for just stupidity. I'll, I'll be the first to say it. And I, I believe there's a reason why people make comments like that. There's a reason why people are afraid of that. And it's because they're not willing to fight the fights themselves. And I'm just thankful. I want to say thank you to so many of the women of God that have stood up and, and have carried a message and have been used mightily by the Lord. And I just want to go on record for saying that because we champion you guys, you girls. Does that make sense? You guys hear my heart on that? There's a lot. This is not a message on women in ministry. There's so much to talk about in that. There's so much scripture. I'm just saying I'm thankful that you guys didn't go home just because somebody told you to. God wants to use you. Just like he used women all throughout the Bible, he wants to use you today as well. Does that make sense? People will often try to get you to go home and try to make you feel like you're inadequate or that you're insufficient and that you're not qualified. And guess what? You are. David was not qualified to win this battle just because he killed a lion and a bear. This was a Goliath. This was a strong giant. He was qualified because he knew who his God was. And I need you to know that. Regardless of your background, regardless of how many victories or failures you've ever had, you're qualified to win in the spiritual arena because you know Jesus. Hmm. Number four. So I talked about he had to... Sorry, I didn't get through all of my notes on, on number three. But he had to overcome... The, the criticism from his family. And I believe some of you, if you're going to serve Jesus passionately, you're going to encounter this. You're going to have close friends and family members that tell you that it's foolishness, that you should just stop, that you should go home, that you should do something more practical, more realistic. Friends, that's what I encountered from my family. You know, I, I had heroin addicts for family growing up. My parents were both heroin addicts. They and they supported me in pursuing my, my passion to go to Bible college and become a pastor. That's awesome. That's great. But the extended family, I found out after I graduated um, from high school, I was, uh, I was put into contact with an aunt that I had that was extremely wealthy. All this family that I never knew existed because they deliberately distanced themselves from my parents because they were worried that my parents would manipulate me to get money from them to fund their drug habit. Long story short. Um, so I met, I, I heard from them after I graduated high school. I moved out of the house and was like, wow, I didn't know I had any of this family. This is exciting. And they purchased a computer for me, which was great. It was a MacBook Pro, and I put that thing to work and put my way through ministry school. I was so thankful for that. But when they found out that uh, I turned down a full-ride scholarship so I could go to a ministry school, they were extremely disappointed, to say the least. They didn't understand. And and uh, eventually they cut off ties and all that fun stuff. And um, it, was, it was hurtful to me to understand that. Um, but I, I'm saying that because there, there are oftentimes, if you're going to do something significant from the Lord, you might even have to silence the voice of close friends and family if they're not giving you, if they're not supporting you in what God's calling you to do. And that's hard, that's difficult, but it's a victory that you have to have if you're going to do something great from God, something great for God. Does that make sense? So number four, he had victory over Saul's excuses. You see, if I were David, 
I wouldn't have lived to fight Goliath because I would have left my smart mouth uh, go off on King Saul long before we ever got to the place of getting to fight Goliath. <laughs> because I love King Saul's response, right, to David uh, when he shows up and says, hey, have no fear, I'm here, I'm going to kill the giant. And uh, <coughs> Saul basically says, dude, you're too young, you're too inexperienced, you don't have the right tools, you don't have the right skill set, there's no way, right? But every excuse that Saul gives could have been flipped back on him. If I'm too young, right, I'm David, if I'm too young, well, you're older, right? You've had military expertise, like you've had victory after victory, like God's been with you, man, you're the guy. You're a head and shoulders tall, you're a head and shoulders tall, you're head and shoulders taller than everybody else in all of Israel. Like physically, you're the man for the job. Is he not? Like uh, you've got the armor already. Like you you're prepared for battle. And you're our leader. Shouldn't we be looking to you? I would have let my mouth go off. Thankfully, David is a little more humble and wise than that. And he begins to give his resume, right? It's like I'd call it, he says, your servants killed the lion and the bear. <laughs> but I would have never made it there. <laughs> I, I just wouldn't have got there. This is, where save, this is where David's proven track record actually gives him some help. But it makes me think of 1 Timothy 4. Um, you know, David never read these words, but he certainly lived them. He says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And I believe that David led by example and led Israel to a great victory because of this. He was not intimidated by Saul's position and didn't take no for an answer. He didn't let him despise him because he was inadequate or inexperienced or he was young. And he used this, he had victory over Saul's excuses here. I believe it's something that if we're going to ever be positioned to fight spiritual battles, we're going to have to conquer the thing. We're going to have to conquer the reasons people tell you you can't do it. Does that make sense? You're too young. You're broke. You've had a divorce. Right? You had an abortion. You can't do it. You're disqualified. Those are things that the Lord wants to help you overcome. Those are, those are things that the Lord wants to help you through um, because having victory over those things positions us for great spiritual victory against giants. Does that make sense? And then he also had victory over others' expectations. Immediately after this, right, Saul says, okay, and he tries to put his armor on him, right? Saul tries to put uh, his, his breast, I mean, it doesn't fit David. Friends, you can't wear somebody else's armor to your battle. In the same way, God doesn't call us all to fight the same battles. He also doesn't call us to fight them all the same way. And he's made you unique. He's made you specifically uh, 
I mean, he's laid out things that maybe you're passionate about, and he's created your personality a specific way. And we fall into this game of comparison, of looking of how somebody else has done something or how something else worked for somebody else. And so we, we just immediately want to copy everybody else in order to find some success, right? That's why Christian books are like the number one like bestseller of all these different ways to live your life. <laughs> it's sad because if they would just read the Bible, it would do so much more, so much more good. But we're always constantly looking for a formula. We're looking for a quick and easy way. And can I tell you, there isn't one. The battles that God has pre- that is preparing you for, the spiritual strongholds that he wants to see you demolish, it's not going to happen by you trying to do it the way somebody else has done it in the past. You don't have to fit into somebody else's mold to be used by God. Can I just can I can I release you from that expectation, that danger of comparison? See, others might expect you to do something one way or a certain way, just like Saul expected David to go fight him in hand-to-hand combat, right? Here's a sword, here's some armor. Can I tell you, because David was not living through earthly wisdom, because he was walking in close fellowship and communion with the Lord, he knew that he was never going to need the armor in the first place. And take this however which way that you want to know, but I believe there are different battles that we face and there's different ways to fight those battles. There are certain, uh, fundamentally, guys, we all have to rely on the Lord, but he's going to give you different strategies on how to do it. Does that make sense? There are certain things that have to exist. There's commitment, faithfulness to the Lord. There's obviously devotion that has to take place through prayer, fasting. Those things always work. But the actual execution of it did it make any difference if, if he would have shot him with an arrow or if he would have chopped off his head or well, he did do that or if he used a slinger stone or like there wouldn't be a difference, right? <laughs> sometimes, dead is dead. <laughs> <coughs> and sometimes God will use the unexpected ways because he knows he'll receive more glory out of it. And so don't look to others for your inspiration when you could be hearing from the Lord. Guys, I'm going to end with this, but Goliath dies, right? Woo, slingshot. It's not a wrist rocket. Those things don't work as well as the actual sling that you could be deadly with. But David, I want to read this. David ran and stood over the Philistine after he's fallen down, right? Gath, they've had this long exchange. He takes his sword and draws it out of its sheath and kills him, and he cuts his head off, right? You see, David made sure that his enemy was dead. I say this, that you can't mess around with sin, right? You can't mess around with spiritual enemies, right? David could have been like ran off victorious, started chanting, right? When he shot him with the rock, it says that he didn't kill him then. He fell down, he knocked him out. I don't know. But even if he was dead, David wasn't taking any chances. In video games, they call this a double tap, right? Right? You shoot him once and then you shoot him again just to make sure that they're dead, right? Somebody told me that once. Okay, I, I don't know if that's true. I don't play video games. Sorry, guys. Um, but, <laughs> right, David, David makes sure that this guy's dead, and he uses his own sword to do it. And this is what, uh, Psalms 57.6 says this. 
David writes something very similar to this. He says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. He's talking about his enemies here. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. And he rejoices in the Lord. I believe this. God is raising up a covenant people that are after his heart. I believe that he's doing so in such a manner that they're going to have private victories in the personal and devotional lives that's going to position them to take down spiritual giants in the land. I'm talking about addiction. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about these abuse and the scandals that have ravaged the church, that those giants are going to fall. I'm talking about culture that for too long has ruled the voice and has had the ear of a generation, right? I believe God's going to turn it around and we're going to see a, a massive victory as these giants fall and the tools that the, that the culture, the tools that the enemy was using to wreak havoc on a generation, to wreak havoc on a people, God's going to turn and put in the hands of his covenant ones to bring destruction to the very thing that was attacking. Does that make sense? I think this is the exact thing that's happening with Kanye West right now. I believe that with 100% of my, my being. I believe that there was, a, there was a man that was elevated to almost godhood, right? He was an idol. You see him use this platform to spread all kinds of idolatry and bigotry and just, I mean, just, just horrible stuff, right? And we see him get radically encountered by the Lord. And now that same platform... That same platform that was once an attack, that was once, um, was once a detriment to people, right? It, it, was, it was bad. We're seeing it turned around and used for good. We're seeing, we're seeing it being an offensive weapon. Guys, do you know that, that more people have Googled Christianity and Jesus since Kanye's album has come out? Like exponentially more people have Googled how to become a Christian. It's number one on the billboard charts. Like that's crazy. An album called Jesus is King that is littered with scripture. Like awesome. Paul, Paul, Paul would say this. He's like, I don't care who's preaching the gospel. We should rejoice that the gospel's being preached. That's Awesome. And I believe we're at a moment in history where God is raising up covenant people that are going to have these private victories that's going to position us to see. I'm, I'm talking about big things happen. I'm talking about massive things, things that we've been praying for, that the church has been praying for. And he's going to do it in unexpected ways. And we're going to rejoice in it. Does that make sense? Because hear my message this morning. As I share this message, and it comes from a place where I'm frustrated with myself. When I first came to this church almost nine years ago, I was seeking the Lord. I remember being here on Wednesday nights. I remember praying with Pastor Dwight. I remember praying with the staff, and we would have, we'd have prayer meetings during the day, and, and we would pray like audacious things. Like seriously, and I would pray, God, would you make this a place that it's impossible to go to hell from? I mean, everybody gets saved. Like I would, I would pray with a tenacity. Pray, God, would you shut down every liquor store? I'm asking that you'd empty every bottle, and that there'd be freedom from addiction and bondage. I mean, I would pray, I would pray like that. And the Holy Spirit started stirring my heart this last week. Hey, mate, 
Why did you stop praying that way? When did I start praying more realistic prayers? I'm praying for some giants to fall once again. And I want you to have the faith. I want you to... I want you to have the permission to join me in believing God to do massive things within our community. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.